guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. guys welcome back to the show this is your host melissa and you are here with the mimosa sisterhood podcast where we celebrate all things women wine booze mimosas and we celebrate the lives of women throughout history as well as history making women that are alive and well today If you're new here, welcome. I am beyond excited that you stumbled upon my incredible podcast, and I hope that you stick it out with us for the long haul because we have over 100 women in history whose lives we have researched and told on this podcast, so you have a lot of binging that you're able to do over the next couple of months, and we have so many awesome episodes coming up. I have a lot of really incredible guests that are about to join me in the next couple of weeks, guests that are tuning in internationally, which is so exciting. So be sure to stick around and follow us on Instagram at Mimosa Sisterhood. And I'm finally amping up my Twitter game. So if you're a tweeter, you can catch us over at Mimosa Hood. Cool. Well, today I'm doing something a little bit different. I am always looking for new ways to spice things up on this show. And one thing I've been thinking about doing lately is covering one woman per episode. Now, I'm still deciding if this is something that works for the podcast and it will really be up to you to let me know what you think of it. So today I invited my BFF, my sister from another mister, Allie Janice, onto the show to test out this new format with me. So I am going to be presenting the life story of one woman in history who her and I both very much admire. And she's just going to be my co-host and we're going to have a conversation together about this woman's life. So let me know what you think of this format, if you prefer these episodes focusing on one woman only, or if you prefer learning about two women per episode. So let me know. Send me a text. DM me on social. Send me an email. Hello at Mimosa Sisterhood. Let me know what you think, because at the end of the day, I'm making this show for the pleasure of your ear holes, and I want to make content that you like. So let me know what you think. All right, we're going to keep it short today in the intro because we have a jam-packed episode to get into, but one quick reminder, I have a monthly newsletter, a little bit more like a women's magazine. If you are not subscribed and you would like to subscribe, you can head over to my website, mimosasisterhood.com. And the next 50-ish people that sign up for the newsletter will receive a super cute postcard sent direct to their house that features our beautiful cover art of women and a handwritten note from yours truly. So if you're interested, head on over and sign up now and I will have a fun little gift for you out in the mail shortly. 
All right, guys, let's get into it. We've got a lot of tea to spill in tonight's episode, and I am so excited for you to hear it, to learn about it, to listen to it, and to give me your thoughts, feelings, and feedback on the incredible woman that we are going to be covering tonight. So without further ado, let's do it. Friends, we have a very special guest on the podcast today. She is the vice president of Mimosa Sisterhood's social media. She is the CEO of Podcast Consulting at Mimosa Sisterhood LLC. And she is the CMO, which is Chief Marketing Officer and Brand Partnerships Executive and the future event planner of Mimosa Sisterhood, if and when this will one day occur. That is one hell of a title. (laughs) I super appreciate all of those um, acronyms that have been thrown my way. And uh, (laughs) I'm so happy that I get to help you and be your consulting guide. And uh, yeah, but definitely was unaware of all the... (laughs) what my business card would look like. I think mostly I'm just kind of concerned about that where I'm going to put all these. Are you also concerned that you're not getting paid yet? You know, I just, I have, I have full faith that it'll, it'll all come back around. I'm not too worried about it. I've got full faith in you, full faith in this. So I think we'll be okay. Okay, perfect. And then I also just realized that I, I didn't tell anybody who you are. So you're Allie and Allie's one of my BFFs for life. And if the listeners who are listening today have been following me on social media for the past couple of years, you may have noticed a drastic improvement in my aesthetic as the Gen Xers, Zers, whatever they're called, like to refer to it. And that's all thanks to Allie, because right when the pandemic started last February, March, and Allie got laid off from her job... (laughs) could not work any longer via COVID. She basically took it upon herself to kick me in the ass and tell me to level up my podcast (laughs) motherfucking game. And um, I did, thanks to her help. She had millions of suggestions, millions of ways I could improve, grow, build engagement. And it probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Allie. So that's why she's VP of everything. Well, I appreciate that. And you did so much of the work. But yes, I'm glad you didn't uh, just, you know, want to tell me to shut up every now and then and say, leave me alone. I'm doing what I want. So no, it was awesome. No. And, and one day, if and when we blow up and we're taking over the podcasting world, you are going to be my co-everything because I need you really fucking bad. I'm very excited about this. (laughs) And again, we're going to need really big business cards, I think, other than that. but (laughs) (laughs) Enormous, enormous business cards. You're going to have every title under the sun. Perfect. Okay. Well, other than Allie being the operations manager of Mimosa Sisterhood, all things, she's also my friend. And we've been friends for a really long time. And we lived in San Francisco together. She now lives in Ocean Beach, San Diego. And we've lived lots of life. We've experienced many ups and downs. Um, and we're still kicking and thriving today. So cheers to cheers to friendship. Cheers to sisterhood. Cheers to kicking ass in life. Cheers to also uh, being one of the only people I know that 
we had to get a policy change at a job because of our hairstyle, which, which I we're think both is sporting pretty right impressive. And we're both sporting right now. Yours is a little lower than it used to be. I think Ginny Brown might be a little happier to see yours at this point, but mine's still pretty pretty up there. <laughs> yeah. Allie and I are queen of the forehead bun. And we take pride in that because when we were both working at a restaurant together in Sausalito, California, we got our hairstyles banned from ever being worn in the restaurant again. And because you can't just tell two people stop wearing your hair in a bun, the entire restaurant lost bun access and they were bu- they were bunned forever, pun intended. <laughs> I mean, it, that straight up went in like the employee handbook. That was like, it wasn't just like a, a verbal thing. It was like from now on, like reprinted manuals. Like this you is how what? it goes. Fuck that. I, I call discrimination against hairstyles. That is rude. I'm proud of it. I live my life. <laughs> it's not going to stop me. I don't think it stopped us either, which is no. the best part. I was like, mm, I don't know if that nope. worked. But. Nope. Sorry. Also, it's like we're waitresses. Get over yourself. We can have yeah. fucking buns on our head. Like, give me a break. And also, we're super cute. Like, look at us. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, isn't that the most important thing? Whatever. Whatever. Well, what's been happening pandemic world we're one year into covid being a thing and you have been off and on in employment over the past year and what 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 has been happening what is your reflection what is your post-pandemic reflection ali i um like many went back and forth a couple times um to work so I was initially when on like March of last year, um, the restaurant and bar I, I managed downtown, uh, the whiskey house, shout out to them. Um, we shut down for the first like six months, I think it was, which was for the first time since I think I was like 15, like the longest I've gone without working before. And I would say that the first couple months were probably pretty ugly. And if somebody was like a fly on the wall, they would be like, the hell is wrong with this person? Um, I luckily had an amazing situation occur because my uh, girl that was living with me had just moved out. So I had the whole house to myself. And then one of my best friends, uh, Eric, came back from traveling all over the world for the last year. And uh, he needed a place to crash. So luckily I had an open room and I, me and him got to hang out all day and... <laughs> Work out. Drink a lot. We worked out quite a bit at first. That lasted for like probably about a month until we just stopped doing that. Until you transitioned um, to drinking? Until, yeah. I mean, the drinking was always involved, but at least there was some sort of working out. We also had a schedule that we tried to put together where like from noon to 1 p.m. was like our music hour. And so we would, he would practice harmonica. I would practice ukulele. And then from like two to three was language. And we would sit what? and practice Spanish. Oh, yeah. We had like a full blown itinerary. We had our, our days were filled at 4 p.m. We'd, we'd go outside and play catch in the alley. And, uh, and then at, at sunset, we'd get our road beers and walk up to the cliffs, watch the sunset and, and then pretty much after that, every night would become a blur because by that point, we would just be hammered. Yeah. Um, and then slowly but surely, uh, you know, we we stopped trying to be productive. And I think sweatpants and, you know, m- much like everybody else, it was just a, a everyday kind of blurred into one. 
And uh, I definitely had a lot of time to kind of self-reflect. And I know this was very hard for a lot of people. And, it, you know, luckily I had a, I was very fortunate to be in the situation I was with, you know, where I was living and being able to not really worry about financials and all of that at the time. So obviously I was very, very lucky and fortunate, but it definitely gave me time to kind of like do some, you know, inner shadow work and uh, go back to therapy and really just kind of hone in on things that I was always too busy with work to deal with. And um, yeah, this pandemic has been actually a very... I don't want to say lovely time for me because I know a lot of people did not enjoy this and it was, you know, a thing, but um, it definitely gave me perspective into the life I want to live and realize that I don't want to work six days a week, 14 hour days anymore. And yeah. And then (laughs) other than that, um, I met my, my honey. I met my boy, which I know is so strange for people probably to hear. Quarantine boyfriend? Quarantine boyfriend. How does that happen? I actually met him like, when I one of the weeks when I went back to work, he had just moved back from overseas because uh, he is in the military, and he moved in literally right across the street from my bar, and so he had frequented it a couple times uh, while we were st- while we were opening, and uh, yeah, next thing you know, like six months later, going strong, living our best lives. So fuck yes, yeah, that sounds. Amaze. And I have to say your quarantine was a lot more beautiful than mine. (laughs) Yeah, you had that rough a little bit. (laughs) All right. Well, just so everybody knows, it's 12 o'clock in the afternoon here today for Allie and I, and it's a Wednesday. And normally I don't do recordings like this, but you got to carve time when time needs to be carved. So here we are. And with that, I am drinking wine and normally I would not ever be drinking wine this early on a Wednesday but I had selected a wine specific to this episode because it reminds me so much of the woman I'm going to be talking about today so I'm drinking it for all of you doing it for the pod doing it for the gram so I'm having a canned wine and I've never had a canned wine before and I got this really the Cost Plus World Market, my new favorite wine go-to, because now that I'm a member, I get discounts on all their fucking alcohol, which is great. And this wine that I'm drinking is fire. I wouldn't normally think that of a canned wine. I am very pleased. It's called She Can, which couldn't be more perfect for this podcast and for the woman that I'm covering today. And it's a Sauvignon Blanc New Zealand wine 2019 from the McBride sisters. I don't know who they are, but I love them. Um, And it's extremely good. I was going to buy two cans. And then I realized that two cans would have been way more money than I'd ever spend on one bottle of wine. Look how cute that can is, though. I know. It's very cute. But the reason why I picked this beautiful can and this wine is because the woman that I'm covering tonight or today or this morning is basically, in my opinion, like the equivalent to a modern Wonder Woman. She literally can. So I'm going to drink this in her honor throughout this whole episode so that I can feel like I can properly (laughs) present her life to the best of my ability, even though it took me like a month to gather all the research because she's so... There's just so much information on her. So many places to look, so much detail, so many conspiracy holes to go down. It gets wild. So that's my wine for the night. And then, of course, Allie, you're drinking your signature 
I, I am also drinking uh, this this afternoon, barely. Um, I am drinking my Modelo, which is pretty <laughs> much at this point the only thing I drink other than like mezcal um, and a significant amount of scotch as of late. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure that I'm keeping the Modelo industry alive. And uh, if not the full Modelo industry, at least San Diego's like <laughs> district of it, you know. But this one is the full size. And I haven't gotten the baby ones again without messing up. The uh, little mini babies? The little minis. I was like, why are they so cheap? And it's like, oh, yeah, because they're half the size. They're eight They're eight ounces. They're so tiny. And I thought <laughs> my hands looked so big next to them. But, <laughs> but um, yeah, so we're drinking the, the full, you know, big papas today. And, uh, yeah. Can you please tell everybody about Miscal? I feel like most people who, like, aren't in the booze industry don't know what it is. <laughs> so basically it's still like an agave based spirit like tequila um when i'm describing it to somebody that has no idea what it is or what it tastes like i like to tell them that if it's like if tequila and scotch had a baby because you get that super smoky aftertaste or you know like right there with it very it varies a lot some are like are a little bit sweeter some are a little bit more citrusy some of the ones like the ones that i like to drink are a little bit more vegetal so they taste like really like green peppery and um they're kind of like salinic they get a little salty too and yeah basically, do you drink it straight i do yeah you can oh, put them in cocktails do you put it on like ice I'm, not always no oh i just like to drink it and yeah i don't know and then does it have a snake in it isn't it one of those liquors that will have, like, an animal in the bottle? <laughs> so, like, like a long time ago. Like, a long, <laughs> long time ago. And I have a very funny story about this, if you would like me to go yes. and tell you about it. Um, but years and years and years and years ago, basically, Mescal was made. Um, I don't even know. I don't know, like, I can't get into the history and all that right now. But I'll basically tell you that, yes, there was an, an animal that lived in it. And that animal was not a snake, but it was a worm. And that worm would live in said bottle. And uh, most of the time, it would come with, like, worm salt also. So it would be, like, crushed up bits of, like, worm and salt. And then that's how you were supposed to drink it, basically. Like, kind of like how you chase a... Um, like a tequila shot with like l- like lime and uh, you lime lick and salt. the worm salt and then Basically, shoot the mezcal. Like, yeah, that was oh. just, so. Generally speaking, I've seen a lot of bottles of mezcal, especially recently, and I have never, I haven't seen a bottle with a worm in it <laughs> at all <laughs> since. I will tell you, two thousand and nine. I was 19 years old and we were in Vegas at, um, we were at Imperial Palace and we were there, we were watching a Rise Against concert. And one of my friends, because we're 19 and drink shit liquor that we can basically find in our parents' house, uh, she decides to bring a bottle of Mezcal. And it was the first time I'd ever had it in my life. And I literally took the shot, walked out to the balcony and threw up off our like 13 floor balcony (laughs) into the pool area. So that was my like first experience with Moscow. So obviously it was not lovely. And then... I don't you know. went from like Jose Cuervo shots to Mystical. Right. And so it was just not a good night, but basically it's delicious and I think everybody should try it. And if you don't know how to drink it, get it in like a margarita first and then it'll be like a smoky margarita and it'll be easy yeah. to drink. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, guys, we're going to hop into it. 
Today we're doing something a little different. We're going to present the life story of one woman. And when I was talking to Allie and I was like, listen, you're coming on the podcast. I need you to do this with me. How do you feel about Jackie Kennedy? And she was like, bitch, that is the one woman I was planning to cover if I ever came on this podcast. So we're doing it in one episode. I'm going to tell the story. Allie's going to fucking love every minute of it. And she's going to hop in and add when necessary. And we're going to have a convo about the infamous Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis. And we're going to have some good conversations in this episode around her and her life, as well as JFK, who, if you do not know already, he was brutally assassinated. He was the president of the United States, and he was murdered in cold blood in a crowd right in front of his wife, Jackie. So there's a lot a lot to unpack, and there's also a lot of conspiracy holes that you can fall down. I'm not a huge fan of conspiracy theories, but I do think there are a couple important conversations to be had that many might consider to be conspiracy theoried. I don't know, but we're going to do it, so I hope you like it. So today, we're talking about Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis, as I just mentioned, former first lady of the United States, widower of President John F. Kennedy. And as I already mentioned with my wine select today, she is a woman that literally did it all, handled it all, experienced it all, went through it all, and did it in a pair of motherfucking pearls and heels with a dainty, elegant smile on her face. I don't know how she did it. If I was this woman that went through what she went through, I would be strapped up on a table in a mental institution. I would not be well. I also just, like, don't understand how somebody can always leave the house looking so lovely. That concept to me just doesn't make sense. Well, you're going to understand why during the first half of this presentation when I tell you about her crazy-ass childhood. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's get into it. So... Jackie was born in July 28th, 1929 in Southampton, New York. She was born into a family where the father was a Wall Street broker and her mother was a socialite, which was like literally a job almost being a socialite during the 1920s, 30s, 40s. So they were extremely rich and they lived between Manhattan and East Hampton Estate in Long Island. She had an extremely close relationship with her father, like almost weirdly obsessed with each other, like BFFs for life, which was kind of fucked up because she also had a sister who her father was just like, meh, whatever. And like, there was no secret about that. He would blatantly say out loud in front of his two children, the most beautiful daughter a man ever had was Jackie. Jesus. When he had another daughter sitting right there who he did not consider the most beautiful daughter a man could ever have. So there was a weird dynamic. Yeah, it was not it was not the healthiest dynamic between father daughter relationships. But it also explains two things. Jackie grew up with a shitload of confidence. Lee grew up extremely independent, which would explain the fact that her father really just kind of ignored her. And it also will explain a dynamic between the two sisters that played out throughout the rest of their lives as well, where, as I'm sure any woman who's listening can imagine, two sisters treated completely differently by their fathers are probably going to have a little bit of beef. Like, why does he love her and not me? 
And they have a little, like, give and take between their sisterly relationship throughout the rest of their life. And we'll get into this a lot more in their adulthood because things really do hit the motherfucking fan later in life (laughs) between the two girls. So... From an early age, Jackie was, as I mentioned, the perfect child. She was a successful equestrian, a horseback riding girl. She did ballet. She was a huge reader. And she excelled at learning languages. She was fluent in English, French, Spanish, and Italian. And even though she was like this perfect child, her parents had the worst marriage under the sun. They were not good. So part one, her father, who is like this rich Wall Street broker, was reckless as shit. He was a raging alcoholic and he was a womanizer, which was no secret to anybody. He cheated on his wife more than anybody could ever keep track of. And he did it publicly without secret or shame or guilt or apology. But Even though he was a Wall Street broker, he was not good with finances. He was fucking losing money 24-7. He was doing bets, deals that were going wrong. He was gambling like crazy. And shit really hit the fan when they were at like a horse thing. I don't even know. And he was standing, the dad was standing there with his wife. He was standing in between his wife and another woman. And the photo that was captured, that was published in the newspaper, showed him holding hands with the other woman as his wife was, like, in front of them, like, walking ahead. <laughs> so, like, he just didn't give a fuck. Like, yeah, he was just did like, not care. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the final straw. So. Oh, like, the wife didn't know. Well, she knew that he But I mean, was like, cheating. in that, like, she saw that photo or something and yes. was like, oh. I mean, at like, that point, it became a public knowledge. It, it was embarrassing, you know? Right. At that point, she was like, yeah, I know my husband cheats on me, but no one else knows. At this right. point, everyone now knew, and it was an embarrassment to her and her reputation, and she wasn't going to have, she's a socialite. The only right. thing she fucking cares about is the way that she's perceived to the people around her. Right. The so public. the minute that, like, everybody else is now, oh, my God, did you see that photo of, you know, blah, blah, blah? Now she's done. So she divorces him because she's like, you're not going to drag my reputation through the mud. And she goes on to marry like a fucking rich dude. Like, I think he's like an heir to an oil company. So he is a multi, multi, multi millionaire. He's also like the most boring man on earth. Was he, and- like, a, he was like a German, um, like, was he like a German guy that came in? He might have been German. I don't know if he was German, but he was an heir to, like, Standard Oil, which was, like, the oil company of the time, and he had a shitload of money. He also had a bunch of kids from, like, a previous marriage, so Jackie inherited, like, all these stepsisters and brothers, and she grew up with her mother and the stepdad. And so they had, like, multi-mansions all over the East Coast. They She went to, like, the best schools, and... Her dad continued living by himself in New York, doing his Wall Street thing, very alone, very sad, depressed that he lost his family and his daughters, and it kind of sucked. And so she she liked her stepdad a lot. Like, he was a great dude, um, but, like, the life that she was living over here with Jackie, I'm sorry, with her mom and the stepdad was, like, grooming her to basically become her mother so it was like she was just a young child that was being groomed to marry rich 
talk, you know, with manners, have the right posture, you're a debutante, you're a socialite, like all you should be worrying about in life is the way you look, present yourself, behave, and what man are you going to get your hands on who has more money than anybody else on planet Earth? Which is why she always looked so lovely. Yes, exactly. Which is why she was able to present herself so well throughout her entire life. She was charming, um, had a lot of poise, class, elegance, which 100% ties back to this, like, training that her mother did for her as a child. Like, one article I read was, like, her mother was literally, like, a debutante drill sergeant. Right. Like she was like, like, girls, like a stage line mom. Up. Yeah. I'm gonna check your hair length. Like, you know, one of those crazy ladies. Yes, oh a total God. stage mom. So anyway, she goes off to college and she attends Vassar College in New York, which is a literal like women's institution. And it's another le- next level to grooming her to be this debutante socialite. So it's like right. college, it's like all those movies <laughs> like in that time when they're like, oh, she's just going to college to find a husband. Like it's like, yep. you know, it's like that. Yep. It's like it's not for like the education. It's just like, oh, she just needs to find herself a husband. Yeah. And be taught how to be a debutante and a socialite and like attract rich people. Right. So that was like the college that she went to. And when she graduated from that college, she lands a 12-month junior editorship at Vogue magazine. Huge. That's so rad. I always forget about that. I heard about that a long time ago, and I like forget that exists. Yes. And she was selected over several hundred other women nationwide. And the position entailed her working for six months in the magazine's New York City office and then spending the remaining six months in Paris. So like a dream, literally a dream. I would die to have that job. But on her first day at Vogue, the managing editor advised her to quit and go back home because, in that person's opinion, she was 22 years old and way too old to be single. Oh. Like, don't focus on your career, honey. You need to go home and get yourself a husband. Oh, my God. Does she listen to him? Yes. No. She takes the advice, leaves the job, and returns home after one day of work. Oh. So she quits Vogue, comes home, and she's back home in the area, and she ends up getting a job at Washington Times Herald, where she was hired as an inquiring camera girl, where she would go on the streets, approach various strangers walking down the road, and ask them to take a picture for the newspaper, and then she'd feature, like, a quote alongside their photo based off of, like, any random question she asked them while on the, on the street. So kind of like Humans of New York, but like 1930s. Right. And so that was going well for her. She was well-liked in this like journalism thing that she was doing. And she was basically working this job back home while also trying to figure out her marriage prospects. So around this time, she meets a man named John Husted and... Her mother thinks he's, like, the most ideal choice under the sun. He's a stockbroker. He comes from a great family. But he is fucking boring. Like, the most boring dude on planet Earth. (laughs) And Jackie is just, like, snooze fest over this guy. Like, she's like, okay, yeah, great. Woohoo. He's rich and he has a great family and my mom loves him. And, like, this would be the ideal 
you know, path for me to take if I am to stay in this debutante socialite life. But like, I don't think I can tolerate uh, like two weeks with this guy. He's has me like passing out unconscious of boredom. Right. And they get engaged anyway. (laughs) And so she considers it. But also he proposes to her one month after dating. So it's just like, fuck you. You Yeah. He was he just, was, he was also looking for what yes. he was looking for. Yes. He yeah. knew she came from a great, rich, bu- billionaire family. Right. And he was like, oh, this woman's perfect for me and my status. So yeah. that was it's like just more like or less an arranged happening. marriage without yes. being like an arranged marriage. But yes. exactly. Yeah. And so she was like, okay, whatever. So she gets engaged. They're together for like a month, but she knows like I'm not like really feeling it. And during the same time period, she is at a dinner party and gets introduced to the U.S. representative, John F. Kennedy, uh, in 1952. And instantly she's attracted to him. She's like, you're hot. You have a shitload (laughs) of money. You're Catholic like I am. You love reading and writing. He had also done like a lot of travel because he had been in the war and he was very like, you know, he wasn't just like a rich stockbroker. He'd seen life. He'd seen death. He'd experienced real things. Right. And so... She was attracted to him immediately. And she also knew that he was a fucking womanizer. There was no secret about that. He had a reputation of somebody who dabbled around, to say the least. And she knew that this, obviously was a problem. Nobody wants to start dating a dude that has a track record of fucking anything that walks. But she also knew her father did that. Right. She also didn't know anything differently. She loved her father, was obsessed with her father. She knew her father was fucking around on her mom her entire childhood. But he, she understood, she didn't know any different than to look at her own parents' marriage and say, my father was the best man I've ever known, but he also did these bad things that he shouldn't have done. But that's just the way it is. Right. It was, it was just that it was, that was just what it was. Yeah. So she, I mean, while you know it's wrong, she also understood it to be acceptable enough. Right. And probably, too, the fact that her mom continued to be with the father for a long time before she finally called it quits. So there were years of cheating that had gone down before she finally hit her her wall. And I think that kind of sends a message like, okay, well, you can just forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. Or like, these are things that happen in marriages or these are the kind of challenges that couples face. So it just, she kind of was just like, well, I'm willing to take my chances because like, I like him. Well, and also just to be like clear, the mom didn't even leave because he was like cheating on her. Like she knew the whole time. The mom left because she was embarrassed that everybody knew. So like even to, you know, Jackie, she's just like, oh, well, like, basically as long as the entire, like, society won't make fun of me, then, like, yes, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And also the dad was blowing money. And I think that was the real kicker. Right. She's like, we need to be rich. (laughs) Yeah. I think she was like, you know, I can deal with you cheating on me and maybe I can even deal with it being published in the newspaper, but you're losing our family money and that's not, that's something I will not deal with. (laughs) Right. I will not be poor. Yeah. And so, so anyway, so now she has these two dudes and she's like trying to figure out, like, all right, I'm engaged to this one guy. I like this other guy. Like, what am I going to do? And so she 
ends up booking a job to go like work at like Queen Elizabeth's something. Like I don't, Queen Elizabeth is out, you know, doing her royal shit and she's about to get like announced or something huge is about to happen that's related to Queen Elizabeth. And Jackie gets put on the job to like fly out to Europe and go broadcast or like do some type of interview. Oh, for, for the this, newspaper. Yes, for the, because she Got still it. has this job with the Washington uh, Times Herald. So she's still like a journalist at this time. She hasn't gotten married yet. So she still like came back home, has this little job that she's doing. So she like, le- she goes to leave to Europe and her fiance g- takes her to the airport. They're saying their goodbyes. And like right before she boards the plane, she hugs him and drops the ring in his pocket and bails. Oh, <laughs> That's, like, the best thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> also, though, like, one month engaged and knowing each other, homeboy shouldn't have been sobbing too hard. She's a right. complete stranger. Right. Like, on to so, the So she's out in Europe doing what she's doing, and while she's there, JFK calls her, and he's like, I really miss you. So, like, basically something that she publishes goes in the news, and it's, like, nationwide, and he sees that Jackie, you know, presented this, like, thing in the newspaper, and it's a big deal. And so he calls her, is like, oh, my God, I miss you, blah, 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 congrats. And then, like, she's still there a couple weeks later, and then he calls her, like, while she's out there, and he's like, you know, like, I'm really feeling, like, good about our relationship, proposes to her on the phone. Lovely. So she's just kind of like, um, I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> she comes home like weeks later and he meets her at the airport with like this huge diamond ring and like proposes for real and she accepts. So oh as one does, she quits her job immediately after that. She literally just does this she's huge break for busy. Queen Elizabeth, is all over the newspaper. And the minute that a ring gets presented, she's now her career's over. It pains my heart. I know, right? So one important thing to note, John F. Kennedy was not, like, dying for a wife either. He was had just come back from war. He was a war hero. He had this huge thing where he, like, crashed his ship, saved a bunch of, like, war guys, and, like, came home and, like, was called a hero. So he was getting a lot of media attention. He was in a high place in his life, and he was the rep- U.S. representative. He was getting into politics, and he was very well-liked. But he was missing the number one thing that would get him to presidency, and that was a wife. Right. And a very lovely wife. Oh, yes. A lovely wife from a great family with a lot of money, with a lot of class. And never before had there been a president without a wife. I don't even think you can do that. So he knew, (laughs) I need a wife in order to become president. And And I need one fast. (laughs) Yes. So he locked it down quick. Do you ever, did you ever, like, find anywhere if it, says like somebody said that like the dad almost set them up or something like that or was like is that known or is it really Um, just kind of happenstance that they met at this party or whatever i didn't hear that the dad set them up but i do know that prior to him meeting jackie kennedy he was banging it out with Hollywood stars. So he had had his go with, like, Aubrey Hepburn. He had been dipping in this, like, celebrity pool of women for a while. And, I mean, I think at the end of the day, like, he can't end up with an Audrey Hepburn or a Marilyn Monroe in the White House. Right. Like, the dad was like, no, like, you need to find I think it's kind of like, you know, have your fun, but, like, these aren't the women that you need to be focusing on to get to the next level in your career and to help our family, the Kennedys, boost up to the next level in our status in America. And keep our generational wealth going. 
Yeah, and I didn't find anything that he had set them up, just that they had met at a mutual dinner party, but I don't think it would be uncommon that those two families would end up in the same kind of dinner party because they were both... Right. I mean, Jackie's stepdad was, like, one of the richest dudes on Earth, so he... In the oil industry. So he was going going to shit. I looked up his name, by the way, and he it, it's like a super German last name, and that's why I thought of it, but it was like Auchincloss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyways. That's the reason why I didn't write his name down. I couldn't Auchincloss. pronounce it. <laughs> yeah. I probably am butchering it. Uh, I just know that there's a scotch called Auchintoshin, and it's felt very similar to that, so I'm going to call it, I'm going to say Auchintosh or Auchincloss. Good, and, good uh, on you. Yeah. And he, uh, is Standard Oil, that was the, yep. uh, Standard Oil was the name of the company, but yeah. So, yeah, so JFK wasn't looking for a wife, but he needed a wife and met Jackie. It was the right fit. The families were right. And it it worked out. So he proposed to her. She accepted his marriage. She resigned from her position at the newspaper. And on September 12th, 1953, they got married. It was the social event of the season with an estimated 700 guests at the ceremony and 1,200 at the reception. Jackie's bitch-ass mom was in charge of the entire arrangements for the wedding. She intentionally did not allow the biological father to walk his daughter down the aisle. She had the stepdad, Auchincloss, the German boar, walk Jackie down the aisle, which is so fucked up. And when Jackie, you know how like when you're in the back of the church and the bride comes and she walks down the aisles from the back, like the furthest back of the pews. Right. She like enters, the doors open, she enters the church, the very last pew in the entire church is her dad sitting alone crying. Like not in happy tears, like depressed tears that he's at the back of the pew and his daughter is about to be walked down the aisle from this fucking rich dude. His favorite daughter also. His favorite daughter. Oh, man. It was bad vibes at the wedding because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So not good. And um, so they get married. And then in the very early stages of their marriage, shit already, like, hits the fucking fan like you wouldn't believe. Like, first of all, JFK, like, he comes off as this, like, hotshot womanizer fucking anything with legs. Homeboy was, like, jacked up from war. Like, he was not well. <laughs> what? Like, he was not well. He was, like, sickly, like, all, like, fucked up, like, couldn't, like, was not physically healthy. Like, he was not, like, an ideal chap. Like, homie wasn't out playing football in the field. He was like, my back hurts. Like, you know? And he was a young dude, but he, like, got jacked up in war. And so the minute that they got married, this fool has to, like, undergo some back surgery of, like, a horrible injury that had, like, gotten worse and worse since he'd come home from war. And it literally, like, almost killed him. The surgery, like, almost ended his life. So right after they get married, he undergoes this near-fatal spinal operation, and Jackie has to, like, be there as a support system to, like, aid him back to health. And then horrifically right after this she suffers a miscarriage and then a year later she gives birth to a stillborn daughter Arabella so lots of tragedy from the kicker right just like all like in the first year basically it's just like not going well yeah it's near-death spinal surgery and two dead babies oh and then the best part JFK you know this little playboy dude He happens to just be, like, out vacationing in the Mediterranean when Jackie 
is like nine months pregnant and about to give birth he's like not even around he's just like peace out i got a a trip with the boys club like we out and while he's away in the mediterranean that's when she gives birth to her stillborn daughter and so he's not even there to like be around when that happens nor can he even be reached like there's no cell phones right there's no way to call like you're on a boat gone like yeah so jackie has nobody and luckily with the kindness of his heart jfk's brother bobby kennedy like steps up to the plate and ends up like stepping in as a support system for her while she's like grieving her stillborn child and bobby kennedy ends up becoming a huge part of jackie's life he's just like pretty much is able to give her this like male father figure comfort that jfk basically was never capable of doing because he's just a little fuckhead and bobby kennedy is gives that to her when jfk is not around so they build like a really good close relationship is that all we know that it's just yes i couldn't find anything that stated otherwise i yeah i don't know but like Especially later in the story, he continues to step up to the plate. So, in my opinion, she should have. I would, if I were her, I would have gotten me some of that. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if she did. <laughs> she was also probably smart enough if she was doing it to like not let it get out because she's not stupid. Totally. Um, but once he got back from the Mediterranean, Jackie was like, fuck you. And she basically, like, lays down the law like no other. And after that, he, like, snaps back into shape and is like, okay, fine. Like, you're right. I'll be a good husband from now on. And so he starts, like, kicking it up a notch and things start going better between their relationship. Then he starts to campaign for re-election to the Senate. And prior to this, she had never gone on campaigns with him. And it was a problem for their marriage because he was just out gallivanting state to state, you know, all over the world running these campaigns and gone for like months at a time. And she didn't like that. Also, because he was probably scandalous as fuck while he was, you know, traveling the world with his wiener. And so she's like, I'm coming to the campaigns. Like, sorry, (laughs) like party's over, bitch. And so (laughs) she starts coming to the campaigns. And um, right from the start, it's clear as day what extreme amount of value she adds to his campaign people love a fucking american marriage they love it they're so amped on like this husband and wife who love each other and they're out here in politics together and they're both pretty pretty good backgrounds good families great money like people were into it yeah and so he realized quickly like holy shit actually my wife is a huge asset to me and a huge asset to our political campaign and every time she'd attend the size of the people in the crowds were just doubling tripling quadrupling like the crowds were going wild over them and this is also at the exact same time that the women's movement was like on the rise so a lot of women were now able to vote and like have opinions were out there saying like woohoo jackie like we're so amped on you and so she was really you know getting the women's side of things skyrocketing Right, she pulled in, like, the whole demographic that, like, didn't even exist before. Yeah. So she was making a massive impact by just breathing air and standing there. (laughs) People loved her. But also keep in mind, she was 
groomed for this her entire fucking life. She right. was taught to be uh, polite, have a, you know, a the right mannerisms, the right behavior, the right communication style. She could speak every language under the sun. She knew how to present herself well. Like, a lot of people talk smack on Jackie because she had, like, a weird voice. I think that voice was trained in her. You know, you know how Kylie Jenner is like, Hi, I'm Kylie Jenner. Right. It's it's like, it's the stage voice. Yeah. It's because, like, normal people, when you hear yourself talking, you're like, I sound so stupid. And if you have to hear yourself talk all the time, like a Kylie Jenner or like a Jackie, it's like, you probably train your voice to sound a little bit different because you're like, oh, God, is that what I sound like? Like, <laughs> Yes. So she had, like, a voice going on. Right. <laughs> there was a voice happening that people coin or, like, bring up frequently when they talk about her. They make fun of her weird voice. But every everybody had a weird voice at that time. Marilyn Manson or <laughs> Marilyn Monroe. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, Marilyn him too. Manson. Him also, but yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of the women during this time pe- period had a strange voice going on. And right. so regardless of the fact that everybody fucking loved Jackie, JFK still couldn't respect her or love her enough to keep his dick in his pants. So as I already mentioned, serial cheater, he himself literally stated that he would get deathly ill if he didn't fuck every three days. Stop it. That's not a quote. Yes. Well, I mean, obviously, that wasn't the exact direct quote. <laughs> right. But, like, he did not, like, actually state that. Yes, he did. He, like, he made not. a statement that, like, he would become ill, sick, not well if he didn't have sex, like, every three days. So people thought of him as, like, an actual sex addict. Like, you have a sexual addiction problem. Right. And he, just like her father, was, like, sorry, not sorry about it. He didn't give a shit. He's, like, I'm going to have sex with whoever the hell I want, and that's just the way it is because I need this, and it's a requirement for me. I have a doctor's note. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I'm calling in sick today because I got a bone. Because I got a fuck. Oh, my God. (laughs) So we're aware of him being a serial boner, but there are two people that he had affairs with that were the most impactful for Jackie. And mind you, she was aware he was boning around. Right. Just like her mother was aware the father was boning around. There are two particular people where it hit and hurt the most. That was Marilyn Monroe and Jackie's sister. No, I didn't know that he banged the sister. Well, these two women are going to be this, like, conspiracy hole that we might have to dip our toes in for a couple of minutes because there is no, like, actual evidence, proof, no photos, no videos that exist that show flat out that this happened. But we know enough information that would state that it did. There were multiple, like, biographies written about Jackie Kennedy that provide evidence that support that the sister had an affair it also would explain why she wasn't included in jackie's will when she died (laughs) and also just like the fact that you've been called like the ugly sister all your life and then you like fuck the husband and it's like yeah "Mm." so more on jackie's sister later because it gets more there we can talk more about why this would make sense later in the story 
But yes, you're right. The fact that the dynamic between the two sisters was bad from the get-go because of the father and the way in which he interacted and thought of them very differently, favoring one over the other. The fact that Jackie went on to become the wife of the president of the United States and her sister obviously continued to live in like the shadows of her older sister. Just so many things that could potentially lead to the other sister not feeling valid enough, not feeling confident enough that she might have like vindictive thoughts, feelings, behaviors towards her sister. Not that surprising. Right. But we're going to talk about Marilyn Monroe first. Okay. Because that's what that's what kicked into play first. So on January 3rd, 1960, John F. Kennedy announces his candidacy for presidency. Jackie accompanies her husband to campaign events until she became pregnant. And because we already know that she has extremely high-risk pregnancies, she's already lost two children, she decides to stay home in Georgetown while her husband continues on with his campaign. Then, on November 8th, 1960, he defeats Republican opponent Richard Nixon in the U.S. presidential election. Two weeks later, Jackie gives birth to the couple's first son, John F. Kennedy Jr., I also feel like I forgot to mention that Jackie already gave birth to a daughter named Caroline. I feel like I missed that somehow, but she did earlier. Before this kid, she had gave birth to a daughter earlier on. So John F. Kennedy gets sworn in as president on January 20th, 1960. Jackie becomes the first youngest first lady of the 20th century, followed by many other firsts. She is the first lady to show glamour, elegant style. She becomes a full-blown trendsetter, fashionista. People are just obsessed with her like people were obsessed with Princess Diana and how the fact that she was this huge trendsetter and fashion icon. She's the first presidential wife to hire a press secretary who she hired specifically to manage her contact with the media. She hated the media. She always wanted to live a private life, which is hard when you're the president of the United States wife. And she also didn't want pictures of her children, like, out and about. But one of the biggest things that Jackie ever did that she's most well known for and people fucking love and praise her for is her renovation of the White House. So when she arrived to the White House, she was like, this is a shithole. Without sounding so stupid, who was (laughs) there before them? I think it was Eisenhower. Okay. Yeah. And people loved Jackie and JFK Because they were nothing like Eisenhower and whoever his wife was. Sorry if that offends somebody. I don't know. I'm not a history buff and I don't know shit about politics. I apologize. Um, I don't know. Yeah. But what I read was that JFK and Jackie were loved because they were kind of coming into this new generation of like being young. They were very young in the presidency. They were, you know, women's movement was booming. They were fashion trendsetters. He was a war veteran. Like they just had like a vibe that people were feeling. He was also not a career politician, which we hear about today in 2020, why people or 2016, why people wanted Trump. He was not a career politician. So JFK wasn't. He was a war veteran. He just came from this line of Kennedys and he became president people really liked him because he was different and they loved jackie because she was just like so cool and they were like this trendy presidential marriage basically 
Right. So they were a huge hit. But she showed up to the White House and was like, fuck this, we're redoing the whole thing. So one thing that she was pissed about was that apparently prior to her being in the White House, people who had lived there previously were allowed to just take things and go. Like when they were when their time was done, they could just like have whatever they wanted and bounce. You mean like the monuments that were like in there? Like I don't understand. Maybe more like pictures, furniture, lamps, like she felt like when she walked in there, all of the his like all of American history was like stripped out of the White House, and like oh. there was no like from Abe Lincoln day, you know, like there was none of that really historic pieces that exist in the decor of the home. It kept getting right. modernized, new things were coming in, and she felt like we needed to preserve the history of presidential families, of just presidency in general, and so. She called up all those motherfuckers and was like, bring my shit back. <laughs> oh, my God. I love she that. She called people directly on the phone and was like, if you took things from the president's, like, White House, like, we want it back. Like, we're preserving history here. And so it was and, like, huge- how embarrassing, like, all these, like, ex-presidents, like, coming back to the door with, like, these, like, weird, like, busts of, like, yes, made of marble. Right? Like, that's all yeah. I picture. Just, like, a bunch yeah. of, like, weird, like, busts and, like, eagles and, like, I don't even know. Just Yeah. And so funny. she made it her mi- – that was, like, her biggest mission ever in that she basically wanted, like, the historical significance back into the White House and give it its character again. And so – In addition to, like, calling all the ex-presidents and making them return shit, she also renovated the inside. So she made an entire family's quarter, which would be, like, suitable for presidents with families and kids. She added in, like, a kitchen, a family floor, uh, different rooms that made it more, like, homey. Like, you know, actual families live here. Right, because before it was just, like, all basically accessible to, like the office like the workers and like yes like not like maids but like actual like people doing business it was yeah. just like yeah and then on february 14th 1962 she brought in cbs news into the white house to do like a full-blown televised like presentation of her remodel and because she wanted to show the world what she'd done this televised thing that she did with the news was watched by 56 million viewers in the united states it was like on tv like a special and it was later distributed to 106 countries. And it was literally just the newsman, whoever the CBS news guy was, and Jackie, like, walking through the tour of the White House together. It's black and white. You can watch it on YouTube. She's talking in, like, her really weird voice that she does. And JFK is not around. And she's just, like, giving a tour to the entire world. This is our home. And, like, this is the renovations I've done. These are, like, the historic pieces I've brought back in. And it's, like, her biggest claim to fame of, like, what she contributed to while she was in the White House. That's rad. So at the same time that Jackie's renovating the White House and, like, making everything beautiful and, like, perfect for the world, JFK is also inviting Marilyn Monroe into the White House while Jackie's away. So he's having a full-blown affair with her. And... Every time that Jackie is, like, out of town doing whatever the hell she's doing, Marilyn Monroe's on a U.S. president plane being flown in to the White House to live and stay in the White House while Jackie's out. And it's, like, well-known info. And he don't give a fuck. Like, (laughs) I mean, obviously, all of the people that work there, all of the people that fly the planes, like, there's no surprise. Everyone knows who Marilyn Monroe is. She's the most famous woman in the entire world right now. Right. So this is happening. 
Jackie knows. I don't know how she knows, but she knows. Even worse, JFK had a specific phone in his office that only rung when Marilyn called. (laughs) So it was like their secret phone, but like one person had the phone number. And if it rang, there was one person on the other end. So he'd know. And um, yeah, it was happening for, for a while. And then... Obviously, at the same time, Marilyn's having this affair with JFK. She's booming in Hollywood. She's the greatest thing since sliced bread. She's also, like, developing a bit of her own personal issues. She starts to get, like, a sleeping pill addiction. She's, like, not, you know, she's just, like, kind of spiraling out of control in her own fame and in celebrity. And she ends up, like, having, like, some type of episode that occurs where she has to go and be, like, held in a psychiatric hospital because she's like not doing well again didn't her like husband like admit her to it though like didn't like well that's what i'm saying i was just about to say again during these time periods every wife was being admitted to psychiatric hospitals right like that was kind of of a thing yeah like he's like she's crazy and it's like uh, she has a psychotic episode she's like tired and it's like no you just had a long day want to suck your dick like (laughs) yeah so i use the term lightly that she had an episode because in this time period Every woman was being drugged on fucking what? What are the drugs that they would give? Valium or whatever it was. Is yeah, that, like, what the they joke were is? all knocked out yeah. on something because that's what husbands were able to do. Right. Marilyn Monroe was quote having an episode and was admitted to a hospital for whatever reason. And while she was in this hospital, or even when she got out of it, she started yapping a lot about her affair with JFK. Like, she was not keeping her mouth closed about it. She was talking about she was in love with him. Sure, they're going to get married, this and that. And it was, like, kind of spiraling. And the final straw was when Marilyn ditched out on one of her, like, films that she was filming in L.A., hopped on a plane to New York and, like, surprise, without notice, showed up to Madison Square Garden where JFK was with his wife attending some kind of, like, event. And that's when she did her famous happy birthday song oh like the happy birthday mr president thing yes she showed up unannounced performed on stage happy birthday mr president she was wearing like a sparkle gown took off like this fur into this totally sexual like out of control performance that was very clear to everybody there and watching on broadcast that something was happening behind closed doors and he was pissed (laughs) And he basically told her, we're over, like, fuck you, like, I don't know who you think you are, but it's done. So he broke up with her and she was like, oh, hell nah, nobody breaks up with Marilyn Monroe. And so she basically threatens to go public with the the affair, like, hold a broadcast type of event. Like, more public than, like, what she was saying before. Oh, no, like, I'm going to call the media and I'm going to stand on a stage with a microphone and tell the entire world that we're having an affair and for how long we've been having this affair. Right. Because he's president right now. She's been going to the White House. She's been on the planes. Like, she's like, you don't get to break up with me. You don't know what you're talking about. And he basically was like, no fucking Hollywood star is going to destroy my presidency. Like, you're high, bitch. So he tries to wean her off by sending his brother Bobby to console her, (laughs) which, you know, Bobby dipped a little dip in that. And they were all hoping that Bobby would be good enough to just, like, keep her busy and entertained that she wouldn't, that she'd just, like, let it go. But she didn't. She did not. 
And um, shortly after that, Marilyn Monroe is found dead in her house as a suicide is what was was named. Yeah. And that is where one of the conspiracies will branch off of. Mm -hmm. So we don't know. Do you think he did it? Do you think he had it set up? Uh, I mean, I I personally, as a pessimist, would assume yes. Right. Same. I believe that M- Princess Diana was killed by the royal family. I believe that pe- I believe that people with money and power care about one thing: money and power, and anything that stands in the way of that will be eliminated. Right. I mean, I think that's a fucked up way to think about how society runs. It's sad. It's depressing. It's pessimistic. It's horrible. I think it's real. Yeah. <laughs> I also like because so many people's like jobs are affected by even just the presidency that it's almost like the order or whatever, like the hit wouldn't have necessarily even had to come from him. It could have just came from one of his like people that, you know what I mean? Like he might have not known for realsies, but like it definitely came from like his side of the world. Yeah. But I also think that Marilyn Monroe was – very up her own ass and probably thought that she was invincible and nothing could happen to her. Well, probably, but also, like, rightfully so, though. I mean, she's, like, basically named the hottest woman ever in the entire world to ever exist. Yeah. She's banging the president and getting flown in on his personal jet and literally has a secret (laughs) phone that, like, nobody else can get a hold of him except for her the way she can. It's like, what do you expect for her to think? Like, how do you – Like, like, no, shit, her head's a little big. Like, everybody in the entire universe is basically, like, bending over backwards. And then the minute that they're like, oh, actually – I don't want this. She's like, fuck you. I still get what I want. I've been getting what I want. I'm going to keep getting what I want, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not exactly, like, a crazy thought process for her. No. To, or, like, you know what I mean? Like. So, yeah. Marilyn Monroe's dead now. And Jack, no longer Jackie's problem. And then a year later, Jackie gives birth to a boy named Patrick. Um, she has an emergency C-section. The infant's lungs were not fully developed. And he died two days after birth. So, this is her third kid that has died at Jesus. birth. Not good. She's really fucked up after this third death. She falls into a severe depression. She's not okay. She decides to get out of town to try and, like, just get away from all of this grief. She goes on a getaway trip with her sister, Lee, whose boyfriend at this time is the richest man in the entire world, and his name is Aristotle Onassis. This name might sound familiar to you because Jackie's name at the time of her death was Jackie Kennedy Onassis. Right. I was like, is she like banging her cousin? No. Jackie. Jackie. So Aristotle Onassis is dating Jackie's sister. They meet on this getaway. Jackie just lost her baby. She's just out on a vacation. Aristotle is the richest man on fucking earth. So they're probably in Greece on a yacht. And it's like the one number one vacation that Jackie needs to just like get away. As I mentioned earlier, we think that Jackie's sister may or may not have had an affair with John F. Kennedy. Right. Jackie may or may not have ended up stealing her sister's boyfriend later in life and marrying him. Oh, I was thinking maiden name was Onassis. I understand now. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) But she may or may not have might have done that. She actually definitely did do that. Yes. But was there like revenge tied to it? I don't know. Oh, man. But again, we'll get into this later because JFK is not dead yet. (laughs) 
so we will be there in a short couple minutes. So she goes away on this trip. She feels a lot better. She gets back. Well, while she's out on this trip, Aristotle Onassis meets Jackie Kennedy for the first time, the sister of his girlfriend. He knows she's the wife of the president of the United States. He's very into her immediately. He's like, oh my god, you are a queen. You are fucking amazing. You're gorgeous. You're poised. You're everything that I've ever seen on television. Love you. But she's the sister of his girlfriend. Nothing happens. Jackie goes back home to her husband. They had just lost their baby. And shockingly, this like really severe death brings them back together. So her and JFK, they've had a lot of issues in their marriage. But this like hardship that they go through actually ends up bringing them closer emotionally and they end up like the rest of their marriage ends up going really well which is so sad because he dies like right now (laughs) so (laughs) they are doing great and on november 1963 they head out on this political trip to texas jackie is wearing her famous bright pink chanel suit and her pillbox hat which is like the number one signature outfit that people think of her when they think of her and apparently that was an outfit that president kennedy picked out for his wife for this campaign and so they're out in texas and they're sitting in their presidential limousine and the governor and his wife are seated in the front seat jackie and jfk are in the back seat and as the limousine turns a corner jackie hears what she thinks is like a motorcycle backfiring like that noise you know where you're like what is that but did not realize that it was actually gunshots until she heard the governor in front of her start screaming and within 8.4 seconds two more shots rang out one hitting jfk in the back of his head like we don't know why she did this but the minute it happened jackie like got up out of the limousine and started climbing off the back of it i don't know it was just like a strange reaction yeah i mean like you watch your husband's head get blown off like yeah there's photos of her though of course the media made sure they captured millions of pictures of jackie climbing off the back of a limo right her husband gets hit but the secret service that's behind them like jumps back in the limo and like gets her into the car and like covers her to like keep her safe you know so jackie ends up sitting in the back seat with her husband laid across her lap with his head literally exploded like his brains are in her hands there's blood covering her entire body like homie is dead and he's not just dead but his skull is cracked open and like all of the inside of his head is just sitting in her laps in her hand jesus like it is fucked up what she had to go through in that moment like not okay at all and they rush to a hospital by the time they get there he's dead like there's no way he was 46 years old by the way when he died so very young and she refused to remove her blood-stained clothing she basically wanted like the people who had done it the world everybody to see like yep our fucking president was assassinated today like here it is fucking world like look here's the evidence my entire body's covered in blood so she like just did not take off her clothes she was like photographed in blood covered clothes the entire day she even boarded the presidential plane to go home never changed got home still wearing the same clothes like i don't really know what that's all about i think it's probably like a combination of just like shock trauma like not wanting to remove 
it because that would make it not real or like it would take away like what happened. I don't know. I think there's a lot of like psychological things to unpack there as to why she never took her clothes off. Yeah. But I, I think it I think it's probably a lot more like shock and just like not even like disbelief of like what's happening probably. Yeah. And just like so fucked up, like the exact minute after he dies, the vice president is now taking oath as the presidency. She has two weeks to pack up her kids and move out of the White House. It's like, what? <laughs> like, like, my like landlord how, gave me more time. Like, right? what? Like, like what can you imagine? Like, your husband's br- head was just blown off in your lap. But also kick rocks. <laughs> yeah, get the hell out of here. Like, we got, the world has shit to do. Like, what? Like, I couldn't imagine just the turnaround of all of that. Of, like, ex- witnessing an assassination and then having to pack, explain to your children that their hus- their dad was killed assassinated by strangers having to explain that and then having to like pack up your stuff and leave the white house and now you just gotta go home also while like planning a funeral and like doing all this like that's crazy it was absolutely insane and she took an active role in planning her husband's funeral she made sure to model it after abraham lincoln's service Um, A week after the assassination, it was determined, or I'm sorry, 10 months after it was determined that a man named Lee Harvey Oswald had acted alone when he assassinated President Kennedy. I think there's a lot of other conspiracy loopholes that tie to this as to like, who was he? Where did he come from? Why was he associated with the mafia? Lots of shit there that you can dive into Reddit channels for. Um, But yeah, he did it. And then the two weeks later, the White House kicked him out. Um, She pretty much spent the entire year of 1964 mourning, as one does. She made, like, barely any public appearances. It's speculated that she suffered from undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder due to intrusive flashbacks of what she experienced in that moment. And then after her husband's assassination, she heavily relied on her brother-in-law, Bobby Kennedy. And as mentioned earlier, he was a huge support to her when she had that miscarriage um, early in her marriage. And then after the assassination, he really kind of stepped in as like a surrogate father for her children, which is so fucked up because then he dies. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He gets assassinated next. I was like, he also gets assassinated. So there's yes. That. So then like two years later, four years later, he then like shit's going down in vietnam and somebody is like yo you need to become president like you need to try and go become elected for president so he's like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna consider it but like it all depends on what jackie wants me to do she he knew that she worried about his safety and she believed that he was more disliked than her own husband so she was like if they're gonna kill my husband you're absolutely gonna be next and she didn't want him to do it but she also was like i'm gonna support you in whatever you want to do so he moved forward with it and then like a minutes later in 1968 he goes to some kind of an event a crowd or whatever and a enraged palestinian gunman shot and killed him minutes after he was like celebrating something with this crowd and he gets rushed to the los angeles hospital and he never regains consciousness and dies 26 hours after the shooting so at this point she's like we ain't safe yeah (laughs) like it's not okay 
it's not good. People are dying left and right. Like, our family's under attack. Like, the two closest people to me have now been assassinated and murdered by the general public. Yeah, it's not just, like, bad luck death. It's, like, yeah. Like, we're being sought out and killed off. Yeah. And, like, my children are heirs of JFK and the lineage of Kennedys that are being killed and slaughtered. And, like, I'm fucking terrified. So... She, again, relapses into severe depression after the death of Bobby because she's now reliving an assassination that she already went through with her husband five years prior. And he's, like, this new father to her kids, which, like, by second dad. So, like, it's not okay. And she basically is quoted to say, if they're killing Kennedys, then my children are targets. I want to get out of this country. Literally that same year, she... (laughs) Calls in Aristotle Anassis, her sister's ex-boyfriend at this time, and she's like, you're rich as fuck, you own your own islands, you own your own airlines, you have the most intense security system that anybody on earth could have, we're getting married because I need you to protect me. And he's like, dope. (laughs) Yeah. Also, he's like 100 years old. He is old and ugly. Like, homie is about to kick the bucket like he's like like, perfect yes he is old as shit he is not an attractive man so but he's got more money than anybody on planet earth and what's one thing jackie's been trained to do her whole life find the richest man that exists and have him take care of you and at this point she needed one thing protection for herself protection for her children and to get the fuck out of dodge and And aristotle is gonna give that also and what? And maybe revenge. Oh, yeah. Maybe revenge, too. So, we aren't sure. But still it's, unsure. it's a possibility. So, yeah, they get married. And uh, the wedding takes place on his own private Greek island, Scorpios, in the Ionian Sea. And after marrying him, she took the legal name Jacqueline Onassis, which meant that she lost all rights to Secret Service protection. Well, it wasn't like they were doing a whole lot. (laughs) Well, yeah. And so she got a lot of backlash for this. Uh, The Secret Service kicked her out. She got a shitload of negative publicity for a number of reasons. One being the fact that Aristotle was divorced and his former wife was still alive, which apparently meant that Jackie, a very diehard Catholic, could get excommunicated by the church. She was condemned a public sinner for this and she became a target of paparazzi who followed her everywhere under the sun and nicknamed her jackie o which is a very common nickname that people think of her as when they think of her but it also holds a lot of negative connotation to it because it's basically related to her marrying onassis and this whole fucking drama around the fact that nobody wants her to move on after her after her husband's head was blown off in her lap right like the nerve of her Yeah. And so that's really what happened this next like 10 years of her life is that like she went from becoming this like person that everybody fucking loved to everybody fucking hated because they did not they didn't want her to move on. They wanted her to forever be the widow of JFK, the traumatized, depressed, you know, person that is experiencing PTSD. They wanted her to be this battered, beaten up ex-bride of the president and that was to be her fate for the end of time nothing else could stand 
And she was like, fuck you. I'm like a woman. I've got kids to take care of. I'm not, I got to pick up my bootstraps and carry on in life. And society was not okay with that. I also like that she's like, oh, not only am I going to date, but I'm going to marry the richest person in the world. <laughs> like, like, like mm, sorry, not sorry. Yeah. And people were really mad about it. And the funniest thing is that this is like literally what I wrote. I wrote, she moves on to protect herself, her children, and that meant marrying the richest, ugliest, oldest man on earth. <laughs> and I wrote, I'm not mad about it. So during their marriage, the couple inhabited six different residencies, her 15-room Fifth Avenue apartment in Manhattan, her horse farm in New Jersey, her Avenue Falk apartment in Paris, her private island in Scorpios, and his house in Athens, as well as his yacht. <laughs> so they were, they were living the high life. Um, and people were not happy that Jackie was happy. They were like, you aren't ever allowed to be happy. What do you mean? You can't right. have nice things. You need to be depressed and crying in a cave. But then shit hit the fan when Aristotle's son died in a plane crash in 1973. Aristotle's daughter blamed Jackie for the tragedy, claiming that she was cursed and that she brought trauma into the Aristotle Onassis family and Aristotle, who was grieving and upset, agreed, also blamed Jackie for his mourning and the loss of his son. And things really hit the fan. And then he ended up dying of respiratory failure six years after the marriage, right after his son died, just like tapped out, was like, I'm done. That's that's it for me. So after two years of legal wranglings, Jackie eventually accepted a settlement of $26 million from Aristotle's daughter, who was the sole heir of his estate. And she waived all other claims to the Anassas estate, which had to have been like billions. Right. But we'll take a 26 mil. And then now she has... She's the widower of two husbands that have died. She's 45 years old. She returns back to the United States. She's now a mother of two teenage kids. And she's like, what the fuck do I do now? So she starts her career again at 45 years old. She becomes the consulting editor at Viking Press. She holds that position for two years. During this time, her kid, her daughter gets married, has some kids. Her son doesn't. He's like a free spirit adventurer. He's out living his life. And then years later, she ends up dating a new man named Maurice. He's probably like the best suited dude she's ever had. But as nothing can ever be that great for Jackie, she finds out right at this time that she has cancer and it spreads very quickly. And she basically knew she was dying. So her being her orchestrates her entire funeral, plans the entire thing before she's even dead. And she ends up dying on May 19th, 1994, peacefully in her home, surrounded by her loved ones. So a couple things about her. She remains one of the most popular first ladies of all time. She was featured 27 times on the annual Gallup list of the top 10 most admired people of the second half of the 20th century. In 2011, she was ranked in fifth place in a list of five most influential first ladies of the 20th century for her profound effect on American society. And then lastly, in 2015, she was included in a list of the top 10 influential U.S. first ladies due to admiration for her fashion sense and later after her husband's assassination for her poise and her dignity. 
And then I wanted to end on a quote, which is so important. She says, quote, I have been through a lot and have suffered a great deal, but I have had lots of happy moments as well. Every moment one lives is different from the other. The good, the bad, the hardship, the joy, the tragedy, love, and happiness are all interwoven into one single indescribable whole that is called life. You cannot separate the good from the bad, and perhaps there is no need to do so either. The end. I love it. She's so rad. Isn't that a nutty fucking life? Yeah, like... It's, like, even just when you were, like, oh, by 45, I was just, like, holy shit, like, this whole time, like, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that she was, like, only 45 at this point, like. 45? Yeah. It's, like, all All these things. All the shit that went down before she was 45 years old? Yeah. I mean, just the fact that this woman experienced so much death in her life. Like, three kids die, her husband, her, like, interim husband, then her other husband and then her it's yeah. like <laughs> what the fuck like maybe she was cursed i don't like, know like death is obviously inevitable but this one this seems like it just seems like a lot <laughs> like in a very in short a amount of time on like, top of her also being first lady right in the white house married to the president like yeah. all this shit that's happening where her family's under attack and being assassinated like i don't know nuts but i just like again going back to my she can wine like what can't this fucking woman overcome seriously like what can't she do what can't she get through what can't she manage deal with handle like holy hell well she definitely had a life yes she definitely had a life it was not the boring one that her mother would have wished her to have this is true she went the high road like her father and found herself a scandalous man that brought a lot of adventure <laughs> and a lot of colorful experiences yeah. bright and dark holy smokes that was wild and jam-packed the funny thing is i had planned for these one woman episodes to be shorter But that was virtually impossible when talking about the queen, Jackie Kennedy. I hope you liked this episode. Again, let me know your thoughts on the one woman show. If you like it, if you don't like it, always open to feedback. And if you enjoyed this episode or you enjoy our podcasts in general, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a five-star rating and a review. This is the best way that you can show your support for me and my show, and it's also the best way for this podcast to get more visibility so that we can reach all of the people out there in the world that don't know that we exist and have been dying to find a show exactly like Mimosa Sisterhood. So do me a solid, spread the word, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your grandma, blast it on social. Thank you guys so much for listening again. I really appreciate you more than I could ever truly express. Love y'all. See you on the other side.